0: I mean, I'd be like two months out of college, and I'd be getting a calls from the electrical engineers and the supply chain managers at customers, like screaming their heads off at me, like, where the hell is our equipment? We need this. We can't energize the substation without it. What are you doing? Who is your manager? Expedite this. This is critical. You know, and I'm like, I'm trying to go to happy hour, man. <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to the Dumb It Down podcast. I'm your host, Eric Larson, and we're here to break down the disconnect between school and work. In this podcast, I interview my network to reflect on the choices they made in high school and college and how their interests led them to their current roles. Today, I'm joined by Chris Morrow, a buddy of mine from high school who also went to college with me. Chris applied to nine different colleges, got accepted to state on a scholarship, ended up being a mechanical engineer, uh, and is now the co-founder of his own business. At the same time, Chris is looking for jobs, so maybe in the same situation as a lot of our listeners. Chris has a great sense of humor and a couple good stories, so thanks for listening. I also have included one poll as I changed the format a little bit. This is one longer episode, so curious your thoughts on that. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Dumb It Down podcast. I'm your host, Eric Larson, and we are here to break down the disconnect between school and work. Today, I am joined by another longtime friend of mine, Chris Morrow. He's out in Denver, Colorado, and we're going to talk a little bit about his journey from high school Chris to mechanical engineering student to doing all kinds of stuff in Denver. Chris, welcome to the show. How are
0: you today? Thank you, Eric. I am well. How are you doing? I'm
1: good. I'm good. I'm sitting here. It's 530. It's dark. I'm staring out my window. And uh, winter is finally here. It's like 40 degrees outside.
0: Hey, send some of that this way. We need some uh, snow. It's the longest into the winter time that Denver has not experienced snow.
1: Oh, no. No fresh it- pal.
0: No fresh pow, and it was about 72 degrees a couple days ago in December. Yeah. So, we need some snow for the season.
1: There you go. Yeah, Chris. Actually, I, uh, I taught
0: Chris how to ski
1: way back in the day.
0: <laughs> That's true. Back in, uh, in Wisp. WISP. Primetime skiing at the intersection of West Virginia, Pennsylvania, <laughs> and Maryland. Best skiing yeah. in the world.
1: Yeah, puts Denver to shame. Nice. Well, we could, uh, we could tell lots and lots of stories about how we know each other. Uh, but I wanted to ask one in particular from back in the day just to set the stage. And I know you've got something up your sleeve. So what's a, what's a good high school story for the listeners?
0: Oh, there's so many. But Eric, you know, we I don't know exactly when we met, but we had a physics class together in high school. I think it was 10th grade. So we we were little sophomores uh, with Miss Brown, arguably the best teacher that I have ever had. Uh, You would probably say the same in most people that had her as a teacher. Um, But one of the projects for that class, we'll start with the pasta bridge. You remember, we had to build a bridge exclusively out of pasta, whatever pasta you wanted. could have been fettuccine or rigatoni or... You know more passes than I do, with your true. Italian heritage. Um, <laughs> and it was a competition in our class to see which bridge could, I think you, we suspended a weight in the middle and held it over two tables, and which bridge would hold the most weight before it cracked. Um, yeah. So that was fun. I remember building that at one of our houses.
1: I remember procrastinating and building it at your house and I don't think the glue had completely dried and we went to present the project and I don't think we did too well.
0: I I agree with that. (laughs) So lesson (laughs) learned. If if we do build bridges, wait a couple days for the glue to dry.
1: Genius. Yeah. Who, who could have thought that before we put it all together? Nice. Well, that's a good one. Chris and I also uh, managed to put together a physics music video that does not need to be looked up or
0: googled or shared uh but it was a good time it was a great time eric wrote the lyrics if uh if any high school kids out there if you're listening if you're struggling to understand isaac newton's three laws of motion um Go study your textbook because you don't want to watch our video.
1: Yes. <laughs> I, was, I was so worried you were going to say the name. Um, and it's, anyway, it's better left in the YouTube abyss than it is brought to light again. But the lyrics are top notch. The uh, the video content could use some work. Chris's and I's rapping is on point for sure, too. But um, anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll blow past that now. But that does bring us to uh, our, our first our first little segment But we were we were sophomores in high school and then quite quickly after we were seniors in high school and uh, looking at schools and majors and thinking through a lot of things. And uh, maybe even uh, thinking through some options in addition to just college, which doesn't really make sense. Anyway, Chris, as a high school senior, what was going through your head when you were looking at schools and degrees?
0: Sure. So. I mean, growing up in Charlotte, um, where I grew up, kind of the expectation um, for, for kind of where we were in school was take that next step, go to college at, at bare minimum, go for a, a BS or BA degree. So, you know, I always loved math and science, um, you know, loved our physics classes, chemistry classes. Uh, a lot of that was due to great teachers. Um, Mm -hmm. which I guess is a a tell to the influence that good teachers can have on your future. Um, But, you know, enjoyed that, you know, loved loved science and and camps and everything as a kid. So kind of all that took me in the the direction of some kind of engineering or something technical. Uh, So I researched a lot of schools, a lot in North Carolina, um, a lot all over. I mean, I think I applied to... Nine or ten colleges, wow. uh, which was uh, which was too many colleges. <laughs> 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 uh, I, th- I think if I were to go back, I would narrow things down um, before I kind of pulled the trigger on on sending out applications and, and mm-hmm. taking that next step. Um, but that's yeah, it kind of led to, to applications to technical schools. I mean, I looked at NC State, uh, I looked at Georgia Tech, Clemson, uh, a lot of the kind of regional you know, top engineering schools in the Southeast. And I actually also applied to Princeton. I don't know if I ever told you that. Oh, no. nice. Yeah. I applied to Princeton and got immediately rejected, <laughs> uh, which, which kind of makes me laugh because later in my life, I lived in Princeton yeah. for, for three years. The Tigers. Uh, so the ironic. No Tigers. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so, so kind of all that said and done, um, NC State, the Wolf Pack, go Pack uh ended up being kind of the best option for for me at the time uh it being being, you know in north carolina in state um had a good scholarship opportunity to nc state and there were i don't know 10 or 12 engineering majors to choose from so a lot of opportunity
1: yes agreed Lots of, lots of decisions at that time. So NC State made sense. A little bit before that, from the notes here, you said you had an airport civil engineering internship. Is that
0: in high school? That is in high school.
1: Okay. So what led you to like, even have that on your radar as a high school student?
0: I don't even remember how <laughs> that came about to be. But I guess there was a career center at Myers Park High School, Go Stang's. <laughs> and that center kind of partnered with different organizations around Charlotte, and somehow uh, I think my guidance counselor connected me with one opportunity that was with the Charlotte Douglas International Airport, CLT, and yeah, CLT, and it was—I would, wouldn't even call it an internship now, but it was four or five days where I was at the airport and kind of shadowing a civil engineer that worked there. Hmm. Um, so this was back in the late 2000s and Charlotte was, you know, growing, not, not quite the level that it is as is now, as
1: you yeah. know, it's like top five airports right now.
0: Yeah. But they were building a new parking deck. They were building some new runways. So it was kind of fun driving around on the, on the tarmac and seeing kind of how that process worked with, with all the rebar and materials and and definitely different than sitting in a high school classroom.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That sounds kind of similar. I don't remember exactly how I got introduced to it, but my parents forced me to do some form of engineering internship when I was a high school senior, I think too. So uh, yeah, it's good your guidance counselor was that resource too, because yeah, it's, you can't know what engineering is, going into college much less as a high school student so glad you got connected but but it sounds like from the types of schools you applied to you already had engineering in mind you were applying to some of the more technical schools georgia tech nc state virginia tech and um at that time had you already honed in on mechanical or no
0: good question i'd say no mechanical was always on my radar Primarily and because everything I heard about mechanical was it's the most versatile. There's so many options for career trajectories or for graduate school or for whatever path you would want to take. I, I considered um, chemical engineering for a hot minute and just kind of didn't really end up going down that path. Dismissed
1: uh, it. Yeah, I mean, we had yeah. a really good chemistry teacher, too. That was probably some of the reasoning.
0: Yeah, yeah, there was, there was that. I mean, biomedical, I always was always on my radar. Industrial was always on my radar, um, which we can definitely talk to later. But um, surprisingly, civil engineering was never on my radar. <laughs> um, and a lot of that is due to that internship. Um, and I actually wanted to tell you a funny story about that. The, it was, I think, I said it was five days. So really, it was a, it was four days and then one night shift to get experience with what you know the a civil engineer might have to stay until you know four a.m. to let the concrete dry, or you got to pour concrete it, you know before the sun rises. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the shift was, I think, eleven p.m. to seven a.m., like a classic third shift. Uh, and I'm like sixteen or seventeen years old at the time. So we get there, um, about two hours go by, 1 a.m., I just fell asleep in the truck. (laughs) And the the guy I was shadowing just let me sleep the entire night, woke me up at 7 a.m. when the the shift was over and was like, all right, go home.
1: (laughs) Wow, I'm sure you really learned a lot.
0: (laughs) Yes, so... I guess it wasn't interesting enough.
1: <laughs> so that's what turned you off from civil. You were like, all right, not doing that again. <laughs> all right, so so you're a freshman now. You applied to engineering. You got into NC State and a couple other schools. You got the Park Scholarship to go to NC State, which was nice, um, which probably made your decision a lot easier, right? Yes. Yeah, in a nutshell, yeah. why not?
0: <laughs> yeah, um, Yeah. Def- definitely.
1: Cool. So actually, just a little bit on that. So you were welcomed to campus like a day before people and met some friends right off the bat. Just a little bit on how the Park Scholarship, um, what the positives and negatives of it over the course of the four years.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, I stand firm in that. The Park Scholarship's probably the greatest thing that, you know, ever happened for me and to cool. me. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, like you said, we, you know, we got to campus a little bit early and did a little freshman retreat so that the, the Park Scholar class, we could all meet each other and um, kind of spend some time off campus before everyone got back on. And the excitement of starting college freshman year begun. It's like rushing um, a frat. It is it's just like it, <laughs> except for, uh, you know, yeah, a little more, a little more acceptable PG. I, minimal don't, hazing. I, don't what, I don't know what the words, yeah, minimal hazing. Um, we had to chug our milk instead. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, over the four years, I mean, there was a, there was a lot that the scholarship kind of demanded and, and entailed. Um, some of that was, you know, trips to DC to learn about current events. Um, we actually had a weekly class pretty much throughout all four years where we got together and kind of talked about upcoming events or current events. Um, there were some built in trips. Uh, you know, I talked about that freshman retreat, there was also a senior retreat. Uh, first time in my adult life that I came out to Denver, oh. it was at, it was at uh, Rocky Mountain National Park. So we came out, did some hiking. That was, I don't know, a week or two before senior year. Uh, but it, but I mean, at the end of the day, it was just a great network, really great community. Uh, you know, I, I stay in touch with the with the program. I help do interviews every year now, um, which which is going on right now. So that's kind of fun to to see what uh, high school kids are up to these days. Yeah, kind of I kind of. That. It's kind of fun to to stay connected with what the activities are and, and it it's crazy the caliber of of student these days. Um I, I I read these applications and I have no clue how I got chosen <laughs> compared to some of these uh some of these kids in and, and 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 one more point on that. I mean it's it's Tuesday December 7th 2020 2021 and we're what 2 years into the covid pandemic right and a lot of these applications for high school kids are talk about the challenges that they've faced trying to stay you know excellent caliber students through covid and it's it's pretty fascinating like it hasn't really affected me in in that sense because of remote work uh, maybe you're the same but yeah. you know juniors and seniors in high school and their whole world is Wrapped around going to school and being active with their community every day. Pretty heavy.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's definitely not something we had to deal with. I feel like in general, I mean, I've been super lucky to be in the time and place of my life where yeah, I was literally working remote before and then COVID hit. I was like, Okay, can keep working remote. Um, you know, not that there aren't challenges, but I can't imagine a high school student writing about anything but that because, right, like right. you said, complete shift in yeah their day-to-day activities and priorities and stuff, but that, yeah, that's cool that you're still involved. I know on uh, Julie's podcast, she gives some updates to architects who are in high school or thinking about it. And I, uh, the only time I get called for advice is when they're trying to get money out of me at NC state. So not quite as fun. Um, But yeah, no, I, I, I benefited from Chris's park scholarship connections as well, whether it was party invites or teacher recommendations, stuff like that. So Uh, I think that it goes without saying anyone with an opportunity like that would be unwise not to take it. Moving on, or I guess backing up maybe a little, but when you were a freshman, you had to decide on mechanical. uh, A little bit about why you made that choice and if you would stick to that choice now, looking back.
0: Yeah, great question. NC State offered you know I don't know 10 or 12 engineering majors and I think one of the options was to do like an undecided engineering where you got exposure to a lot of different of the disciplines I don't know that um, yeah I just recently found that out because one of the Park Scholar applicants said that's what they wanted to do Nice. and I said oh wow that would have been great <laughs> um <laughs> But I, I, I pretty much initially, you know, dove into mechanical, um, right off the bat, uh, just based on just based on what I knew and talking with some upperclassmen and you know what all the what all the internship and job opportunities were. Um, it seemed like it seemed like a decision that wasn't really a decision at the time, if that makes sense. Yep, I agree. Where going into mechanical engineering would let you, would give you the most access to to opportunities down the road. Uh, but your freshman year in college, uh, and I stand by this, you're not so focused on, you know, planning out your entire life, or I wasn't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, well different, I'm sure different people would have different opinions on that. I think most freshmen generally speaking are Adapting to the social aspects of college rather than it's impossible to know what you're going to end up doing. And the people that come in with something that focused uh, probably wouldn't listen to this podcast because I think the majority don't really have that. You know, I want to be a NASA engineer or something like that. So, yeah, I agree. I think as we went through school, the amount of people we knew in engineering school, we got kind of the gist of what other people were doing, what an aerospace would do, what a biomedical, what a chemical would do. But when you're a freshman and you don't know that, you're trying to put off that decision. So Chris and I said, well, mechanical, you still kind of get to do everything and don't have to put yourself in a corner. So, yeah, why not? So, yeah, yeah that's that's what I did as well. So,
0: so so your but your second question uh knowing what I know now, I would have pursued industrial engineering instead of mechanical engineering, and that is pr- primarily just due to it being higher level more systems approach uh, a little bit more applicable to like business as a whole I mean we half of our mutual friends. We're in industrial engineering, so, like, I'd say we had a front row seat to what industrial engineers, uh, what they were going through, and, and and I feel bad. I mean, at the time, out of all the engineering disciplines at NC State, industrial engineering was probably the least technical, so a lot of people would call it imaginary engineering. I would, I would never, you would never. Ever. Uh, never, ever, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, having having gone through the program and and joined the workforce, I mean, that's some of the most applicable information you you can have, you know, how to improve a process, how to optimize, how to think about a systems approach to things, Uh, which is almost in a way like opposite of mechanical where mechanical is very focused, at least, at least when we went through, I'd say it was really focused on like optimizing like a tiny part of the system instead of, a whole like system from start to end
1: big picture Mm -hmm. that's a good point that's a really that's really well said so moving forward you're a senior in college looking for jobs as a mechanical engineer what was on your mind as you were looking for jobs what were your preferences what'd you think
0: yeah so i had I'd done a little study abroad in school. I'd done, you know, an internship here or there, um, some international trips. So when I was looking at jobs, uh, kind of a combination of, of those things I wanted to kind of bring with me into my first job. So I was hoping, like my number one uh, goal was a rotational program with with a company. So That would be, you know, there's a bunch of different rotational programs out there. um, But usually the way they're structured is you spend a certain amount of time, you know, six to six months to a year in one specific area, um, you know, like like subject matter. And then do a similar amount of time in another and then another. It's usually like a, you know, two to four year program. Mm -hmm. Um, So so I was looking for. Opportunities like that, Um, again, kind of to provide like a high level overview of whatever industry um, I was I was going to be going into. Um, So, you know, I hit up the NC State career fair pretty hard, as we all did. Um, Booked, you know, had a bunch of interviews. I mean,
1: what what kind of jobs were you looking for? Was it exclusively the rotational program? Did you have a couple offers you were juggling? What was that like?
0: Yeah, it was. There were a couple offers. Uh, I mean, it was it was a many interviews over the course of you know a couple months. Um, what it really boiled down to was three main offers. Um, one was with Eastman Chemical, where I would have been a process engineer at the plant, basically like mechanical engineer one in I think it was Johnson City area, Tennessee. Mm. Uh, very rural town. Very rural town. <laughs> uh, was not a rotational program. Uh, it I, it actually had the highest salary offer. So there were like pros and cons to that. Um, but really, the main two that I was considering between. Was an offer from ABB, which was their rotational program, which was called the the PAL program at the time, Power and Automation Leaders. Um, an offer, uh, an offer for that, and then also an offer for uh, Lord Corporation, which is a company that I had uh, I had interned with the summer before. Uh, More on that it, later. Yeah, it was it was an offer for their a, a full time role in Kerry. Uh, what I really had wanted at the time was that Lord rotational program, um, but there were some issues with the interviewing process on my end. Um, yeah, that, we'll save that. that. I think
1: uh, we'll get to that in a little <laughs> bit. Um, yeah, stay tuned to find out Chris's biggest screw up. Anyway, so yeah, you had a couple offers, rotational programs, just to throw my two cents in. so. A lot of companies now are doing the rotational programs because one, it gives them kind of an introduction into where you would fit best. So they're not just plugging you into one location and you know losing you a year later to a competitor when you find out you want to do something else better. It's, so it's it's kind of a trial period for both sides. And I think for Chris and myself and anyone who's looking at them, it's a really nice way to not back yourself into a corner again and kind of keep your decision-making open where you can say, okay, maybe I do like being a mechanical engineer, one. Maybe I would prefer working in project management. Maybe I stomached living in a very rural area of town to be in a manufacturing plant for eight months and never want to do it again. So I think it's a win-win and they're in very high demand for that reason. So Chris was an excellent student and naturally got one. Mm So what were the three shifts that you ended up doing or the structure in general?
0: Yeah, my first rotation on the on the PAL program was, was actually ABB's largest factory in maybe North America, definitely the United States. Uh, but I moved from Raleigh. You know, I had lived in North Carolina my entire life. And I drove from Charlotte to Columbia, Missouri. Uh, and then did my first eight-month assignment in Jefferson City, Missouri, uh, which is little known fact, is the capital of Missouri. It's not St. Louis or Kansas City. Uh, not, a,
1: not a fun fact, just little known.
0: <laughs> not a fun fact. <laughs> um, yeah, no offense to anybody from Missouri or from Jefferson City, Missouri. But I spent eight months there um, working as a sales engineer. Um, which actually opened my eyes to more of the technical sales you know, avenues that you could take. Was that something um, you had like checked
1: the box and wanted to do when you applied or they plugged you in there without your consideration?
0: I wanted to do technical sales. I wanted sales experience, kind of business development, customer facing roles. So I definitely made that pretty clear in the interview process. How'd you know to want to do that? Um, I mean, I, I've always loved talking with people and kind of the interpersonal interaction. You know, part of it, my internship in college with Lord was very much more on the R&D side, um, far removed from the customer. And, you know, I have, I have this philosophy today that, you know, the closer you are to the customer, in a business, like the more impactful you feel that your work is because you can truly see what your company is bringing to the table and what problems you're solving. So I didn't feel that at Lord because I was very much kind of like, you know, the wizard of Oz behind the curtain, like don't come out. We don't want to see you. Yeah. I mean, very heavy on the R and D side. Okay. Um, Which was interesting, but, I didn't really see how what i was doing was like connecting to solving a problem for a customer
1: yeah so did sales come up as like part of your business minor was that other people at lord like how did sales come on your radar technical sales
0: man kind of like a death by a thousand cuts thing i can't think of like a specific moment um and it was kind of like sprinkled in all through college. I mean, I, I took an entrepreneurship class my freshman year uh, with Aaron Dakey, actually.
1: Hey.
0: Uh, shout okay. out Dakey's. Um, But that and then I took another business class and then realized, you know, oh, I'm four or five credits away from having a business minor. I have, the, I have the time. Let's rock and roll. So I took more business classes. And... Yeah, I, I'd say it kind of just, you know, comparing the business classes and the engineering classes, I could clearly see that the business classes were kind of a little bit more applicable, um, a little bit more like high level, um, you know, helpful for for driving driving a business successfully. And then the engineering was was more technical, more execution style. Mm. Um, So it was kind of a good balance having both. But yeah, really combination of, you know, a a very technical internship, actually a couple of very technical internships, um, business classes, kind of networking, talking with people on on the uh, PAL program. I mean, we had the opportunity to talk with current pals, as they were called while we were in the interview process. So, so I really had an idea of what all the options were going into the program and knowing that helped me kind of steer that first, uh, that first rotation kind of more towards technical sales. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And my, and my boss at the time, you know, her, or she put uh, me and, and another guy, we were starting in Jefferson City at the same time. And I think she recognized, like, we had technical experience already and we, we could handle a challenge. And so she, I think she threw us in probably the most challenging ABB environment in the country, um, which, which was a great place to start out.
1: So that was the sales role in Jeff City. What, what was it challenging?
0: I mean, I'd be like two months out of college and I'd be getting a calls from the electrical engineers and the supply chain managers at customers like screaming their heads off at me. Like, where the hell is our equipment? We need this. We can't energize the substation without it. What are you doing? Who is your manager? Expedite this. This is critical. You know, and I'm like, oh boy, I'm trying to go to happy hour, man. <laughs> um, so it was definitely... It was definitely an interesting introduction to, to the working world.
1: Yeah. Just talk briefly about where you were and what you did in those other rotations, and then we'll move on.
0: So, yeah. So my second rotation, I moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and totally different side of the business, but worked in the um, the low voltage drives group. So drives the power, you know, fans and compressors and basically make large manufacturing operations run. Okay. And I was more on the kind of the factory side, and kind of operational excellence. Um, actually, like straight up industrial engineering work. Oh, all right. Um, yeah, so that was for eight months, uh, kind of worked on optimizing the the flow of the factory and trying to reduce costs and improve quality and all all that good stuff. And then uh, after that, I moved to Princeton, New Jersey and took a kind of another sales engineer role, Hmm. but it was a little bit more broad, kind of more, um, a little bit more business development than um, sales itself, much less on the engineering heavy side and more on kind of the contracting, sales, you know, responding to uh, sales inquiries, things like that.
1: So the sales engineer role was more about fixing the customer's engineering problems. And the business development role was more about approaching new sales and new deals and responding in a fashion that would help paint ABB in the best light. Yeah?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it.
1: Yeah. So I guess in summary, rotational program... They probably offered a lot of different types of jobs. You figured out that sales engineering was kind of cool. You continued down that path for your last shift and you had exposure to like three different parts of the country, three different parts of the business, and even snuck a couple international months in. So then after that, I believe you stayed in that role in that last business development role in princeton for a couple of years and then they even allowed you to stay with abb and you took a role in california
0: yeah yes so so i liked what i was doing i liked the i liked that i was working with a technical product kind of in a technical industry like there was a lot of mechanical and electrical engineering concepts that were still you know that i was still kind of using on a day-to-day basis you enjoyed that while you still wanted to work with people you wanted both exactly exactly like that was kind of the background but primarily it was more solving customers problems responding to to projects and, and deals and kind of making making all that happen in the real world but also kind of responding to some of the technical challenges and so that's that's when, you know, when I moved to California, a similar role just took on kind of a bigger territory, more customers, um, a little bit more targeted for the accounts. Um, But it it was it was fun because it was, uh, you know, based in manufacturing. I mean, I, I was I was representing products where they were being manufactured in or just outside Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I could go to the the factory, you know, put my hands on the products, learn a lot about it technically, but then fly back to California and then go meet uh go meet with customers, uh, understand how they were applying the equipment and the technology. Um, so it's kind of a cool balance, right?
1: You kind of get the balance of using your technical expertise, having to learn something. Intricate and then being able or having to explain that in a simple way
0: to customers. Having the mechanical engineering background, I've I've found has lent me a lot of credibility. Whether or not I use my mechanical engineering background daily, um, just having... Having a degree in engineering, a lot of people respect that.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I'll echo that. But what I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily agree with it. I don't know if you do or not. Like, it's good. It, it benefits both of us. But do you think that it should be that way or there should be a different
0: way? I, I, I'm i torn. I'm, I'm really torn because I I agree with you in a sense, like, just because you know there's words on a paper, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. But, but on the flip side, it it does. What I really think is engineering teaches you how to think critically and how to solve problems. Almost regardless of what engineering discipline you go into, I mean, you don't it doesn't have to be engineering. I mean, it's the whole point of school and college, right? It's like learn how to think. Yeah, education, like learn. Learn how to think. Learn how you learn. But I think engineering for me, like, was unique because it really helped me like think critically and, and kind of break problems down. I mean, I mean, like, like to the extremes of you have like a thermodynamics equation, like, or a th- thermodynamics problem. Like, there's three equations. Plug the numbers in take three sheets of paper, work it all the way through there's an answer on the bottom right like yeah you have to think you have to know the equations you have to know how to apply things um, but that's the one extreme and then I mean I took like a design optimization course my senior year I think and it was it was awesome. It was more of here's this very very open-ended problem. Uh, God, I just I just read one of them the other day. It was like, here's a rectangle and you have to cut four circles of different diameters into this rectangle. What's the best way to do that so that you minimize the scrap Mm -hmm. of this rectangle? And I was like, huh, that's, that's very applicable. Like waste reduction, you know, time efficiency, cost efficiency, right? Like if you can save 10% on every single one of those rectangles. Uh, over time, you could save a company millions of dollars. So that, that was kind of an example on the other end of, you know, it really forces you to think about how can I set this up? You know, how can I set this problem up so that we can get as close to, you know, the the answer as possible?
1: Yeah, that's two really good examples. I'm glad you went down that rabbit hole because... I think that there is a lot of value in an engineering degree and learning how to think critically and learning how to problem solve. However, I think in a lot of the intro classes that maybe aren't quite as innovative, you have a lot of those teachers who are teaching out of the book and there's a problem and you get to the one solution, which is not how life works. There are many solutions and the problem changes as you're working it out. So to have a little bit more of a practical application Um, Julie mentioned having professors that like are out in the field, like aren't just research oriented, education only professors is very helpful. And I think that our former school could do a better job of that and probably others as well. And it probably depends on your degree. But generally speaking, yeah, totally agree with you. So thanks for that. Uh, Well, moving on a little. So, yeah, ABB allowed Chris to move to California, allowed Chris to move to Denver eventually, maybe. Chris moved to Denver eventually and is now in a current position, positionless. What are you you doing these days, Chris? That's
0: that's the question right there. (laughs) Well, trying to do my snow dance so we can go skiing. All right no um yes moved to denver and had an opportunity to you know always had the entrepreneurial bug as many do um but had an opportunity to really jump full-time into a business that you know i helped start with my fiance oh very different industry more on the uh kind of consumer goods, uh, cosmetics industry. So yeah, a little
1: just background like square one. So Chris's fiance, Vanessa, is a chemical engineer, worked for a company basically as their chemical engineer with a bunch of business people who didn't understand the expertise required. And then said, I can do the business part myself. And the biggest customer agreed. So now Pulled Chris into it, and you and Vanessa are working as a power couple. And now I'll toss it back to you.
0: Yes. Yes. That's a good kind of 60 second summary. Um, so, yes. And now we, I mean, we found a facility nearby, um, and we've invested in equipment, and we've scaled to a point where, um, yeah, I mean we're ready to take on more business with this customer and other customers. What are you making? Ooh, we're making a lot of things. <laughs> um, you know our biggest our biggest uh, customers in the tattoo space. So we make a lot of uh, a ton of tattoo ointments. Um, there's a couple other creams that she's made. Um, she's working on a lotion right now. She's working on a few other things. Um, but yeah, so we've had a lot of, you know tattoo products going through the manufacturing line and this is all like equipment that we spec'd out and bought
1: yeah so it's it's the coolest thing <laughs> so chris and his fiance vanessa literally have rented out industrial warehouse space bought all of this equipment to place to manufacture and place lotion in small vials on this small assembly line to pack it and ship it out to customers to improve their tattoos, I guess. And Chris is using all of his manufacturing experience, which honestly I forgot about until we were talking right now, to like put together this efficient assembly line and uh, try to scale this product. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited for y'all. Oh,
0: thank you. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, technically at the end of the day, we're a contract manufacturer is really what the business is. So we are not a brand, but we have brands that come to us that either need formulation help or assistance. The bottom line is, you know,
1: Vanessa has improved these formulations over a number of years so that she has something uh, uh, material, I guess, for lack of a better word, that is in high demand and that most people don't know how to make. And uh, you guys are leveraging that into a full scale business. So.
0: Yeah, it's challenging. I mean, there's, there's pros and cons to the self-employment business ownership for sure. Uh, you know, can be a lot of freedom, but also, you know, can be zero predictability, which is kind of the opposite or not completely opposite, but then, then kind of like a typical career trajectory.
1: Yeah. Chris has always been entrepreneurial. I don't know why or how, just cause he has a smart guy and got the itch but there were lots of entrepreneurship classes at state you could kind of go down a entrepreneur track instead of senior design which chris did so it all uh it's all kind of working out however at the same time uh you're looking for some other gigs too so yeah still still figuring it out
0: yes yeah i'd say uh at some point all the dots are gonna connect But yeah, I'm interested in a in clean energy and potentially getting back into the power industry. So I'm actually am currently looking at you know new roles and and that's probably relevant for you know high school or college listeners who are kind of thinking about what to do because you know I'm even you know seven eight years into a career and going through informational interv- interviews and you know reaching out and tapping into my network and. Um, going after opportunities. So I think probably the process never really stops. Uh, Probably always want to cultivate that or be ready for the next opportunity because you never never know where it'll come from. I never thought I'd be making tattoo products.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, it's interesting because people – I feel like when you're in high school or college, parents or mentors or whoever are saying, oh, you should just call up your network and find out what they're doing and see if you like it. And it's really hard to even know what questions to ask at that point. Um, But in the same vein, you could be seven or eight years into your career and still trying to identify what you're interested in and how much you'd like to apply that to a job. So, like what Chris said, informational interview—just calling up people that he's met over the years, I guess, and asking them why they like what they do. I guess what's what's a little bit about your process there?
0: Yeah, th- this is a relatively new process, by the way, Eric. Like within the past couple of months. But like a good example, um, I reached out to a connection on LinkedIn, um, a guy that went to NC State, actually, and. He works as a project developer for solar projects, and I kind of heard about it. Done a little bit of reading on it, but I reached out to him and basically asked, "Hey, can I? You know, here's like three of the main questions, right? Like, what what's the day to day look like? Um, you know, what's your perfect customer or your perfect project? Um, you know." Where have where where has the industry been, and then like where do you think it's going based off the work that you've done? Questions like that, and kind of throw that at him and say, hey, if you have you know a few minutes to chat, I'd love to just pick your brain. I hate that expression, but um, pick your brain and uh, get your ideas on on this role and this career that you've kind of built for yourself. And I've I've really been surprised at how receptive people are. I mean, people are very open to, yeah, sure. I mean, I'll tell you about what I do because it's kind of a no pressure situation. Um, So yeah, so I learned a lot about uh, what a project developer for solar projects does. And there's a lot to it. There's a lot of travel, like the, in terms of the travel requirements, education requirements, um, you know, how long projects take. Right. I mean, you've been in sales roles where sometimes the cycle is, you know, three months, maybe it's two weeks, maybe it's 10 years. I mean, he he'd been working on a he'd been working on a wind farm project since he started six years ago. So my personality, no, thanks. That's too long for me. But so, yeah, they kind of learn a lot about what people are doing. So, yeah, that's that's cool.
1: I think that's helpful. I think it's tough to ask those kinds of questions, like as a college student, like I remember my dad saying like, Oh, call this person and quote unquote, pick their brain. And it's like, what do you do? What what do you do day to day can be answered so many different ways. And I guess hopefully now you have some idea of what you would want to hear, or hopefully someone is straightforward enough to say, well, I spend four hours of my time on meetings and two hours of my time on data entry, but it's generally not, um, how it goes. So it's a tough question and it can only help to hear answers. So I still recommend doing it, but it doesn't make it easy.
0: Yeah. It's, it's kind of a chicken in the egg problem in a way, because like you said, when you're a college senior, I mean, whether, whether or not you've had like, work experience while you're in school um you don't really know what you you don't know what you don't know so you can ask those questions but you have no context for it Mm um but then once you work for a little bit um then you you have some experience of okay you know i spent a year doing this i had to go to the office every day um i spent you know 80% of my workday on a computer or, or, or what have you, right. Then you can, you can compare what you hear from, you know, if you do reach out to people in your network or, or like your dad said, you know, just call this guy up, you know, you can kind of, you have a reference point to compare that to. Lots of options out there can be
1: overwhelming. However, people like Chris has made it work through a winding journey Um, Cool. Well, anything else? I got a couple questions for you, but anything else before we tackle those you'd like to get off your chest?
0: I don't think so. I think I probably got on my soapbox enough. Perfect.
1: All right. Um, So a couple questions for you. Oh, this is a fun one. Always. What's been your biggest
0: screw up? Oh man. Well, earlier, I think I alluded to g- coming out of college. I was kind of between two job offers. One was with ABB, which is the one I ultimately accepted, the other was with Lord, which was a full time role in Carrie, kind of based off the internship that I had done. But what I had really wanted. Top of the list was Lord had a rotational program. It's called the CFP, Career Foundations Program, at the time, I don't know what it's called now, but it was kind of an overview for all of, um, or a lot of Lord's different products. Uh, I mean, Lord's a really cool company. They do like active vibration, what is it called? Active vibration control for military helicopters. Anyway, really cool company. (laughs) I was pretty, uh, I was pretty psyched about the opportunity. Um, I'd worked there, uh, as an intern. So I had, I kind of had like a name built for myself. So in a way it was, uh, it was my opportunity to lose. And so interview came around the kind of personality, you know, assessment went really well. And then there was this, uh, technical portion of the interview and you know they asked some some questions about like material science some things that I wasn't like super you know confident with uh, or like super interested in Uh, but really ultimately what happened was you know they asked me two or three questions it was all all like relatively technical fundamental basic concepts of material science um, and i absolutely bombed <laughs> absolutely bombed i couldn't couldn't answer the question you know i don't know if it was like froze or didn't know but like it was it was so bad to the point where we finished the interview and they're like you know how about we do another interview next week and we try this again oof <laughs> yeah yeah and it and it was kind of like You know, internally, I was like, oh, shit. Like, what? How did that just happen? Like, I I was a great student. I did well on tests. I got good grades. But then when it came to, like, really, like, translating that, like, what I was learning in school to, like, explaining the fundamentals to, like, a professional, like, huge gap. Nothing. Nothing. So, we did a second interview. Kind of the same thing happened. Um, which which is hilarious thinking back on it because poor Mike, my boss, probably stuck his neck out to get me a second interview, and then uh, after after that they were probably like, "Dude, Mike, what? Who is this kid?" <laughs> um, so it's funny thinking back on it, but yeah, yeah. Needless to say, uh, that didn't work out. Um, but had some other good opportunities, so took that
1: yeah well it says something about how much you're learning versus how well you're doing on tests but all in all funny story when you look back on it not funny in the moment but yes chris did not quite get the job he was looking for there unfortunately
0: well and i'm still i'm still alive and smiling to this day so alive and well yeah things things go on
1: So I I want to change this question up because you alluded to it earlier. I thought it was good. What's your perfect project?
0: Ooh, hard hitting. That's a great question. Somewhere in kind of the clean energy space, whether it was like energy storage or solar, either on the generation side um, or kind of how customers drive the clean energy changes that are going on in the in, in the industry. Um that space, but still incorporating kind of the entrepreneurial bug. Um
1: so maybe working for a startup that has a new technology that takes, I don't know, smart metering closer to customers or something like that.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Some kind of uh, some kind of smaller company. You're really making a difference. Um, you know, like maybe I own and operate. I've kind of gone through that. I'm going through that process, so uh, I see how that works and the, you know, that it's it's attainable, right? I mean, you can you can own and operate a company. I mean, it's it's very attainable. So uh, maybe something like that in the in the clean energy space, or yeah, working for a startup. Uh, definitely customer facing, uh, definitely kind of tackling a challenging subject. But uh, as far as specifics, you know, I don't know. That's a great question. Anyone? I would that? love to ask you the same question, but this is your podcast.
1: Hey, I can, I can get on my soapbox. Um, I mean, I'm in sales. So my perfect project is something where the customer keeps coming back for more. So like up front, you know, you do a good job, you sell them something that they need. So for example, ours would be if there's a new building, it's supposed to be the smartest building ever. And they come to us and they say, help us make it smart. And I sell this upfront package to them. And then the building becomes smart. They're like, yes, they're singing our praises. Um, There's something about where if a customer goes through a bit of turmoil and then you turn it around for them, it's like a more sticky customer, a better customer. So if that was to happen, maybe that'd be perfect. Maybe I don't want any mistakes. But then after that, a company that builds one building typically builds more or holds like 20 or so. So I would want to say, oh, well, we made this building better. How do we make your other 20 better and have that long-term engagement? This is also exactly what my boss has been telling me to get. So it's not like I came up with this off the top of my head. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty specific with my current job. I think general soft skills, perfect project is being in front of people, um, communicating complex topics, kind of to your point as well. And uh, seeing a project all the way through, I think that, with long sales cycles and long projects, I, have been, I haven't really seen enough all the way through. For example, you know, selling it, closing it, initiating it, implementing it, and then hearing from the customer after. So I'd like to do more of that. And you kind of mentioned that earlier too. If it's a seven year sales cycle, you know, get out of here. But not every project is perfect. So I'll take what I can get right now.
0: I like it. No, I, that time dimension, I think really is, is critical. You know, I mean, the first thing that people look at when they take a job is, you know, what's the salary? Now, maybe not the first thing, but, you know, the Top compensation, <laughs> the, the money factor is, but knowing kind of how long things take, I mean, knowing what the sales cycles are, because cause I couldn't agree more. Like seeing a project through, like one, you get, that experience and you can you can bring that experience to your other customers say hey you know we went from a to z here and we saw all the challenges and we addressed every single one throughout the process uh, doesn't happen every day yeah
1: cool okay last well two more do you have a mentor if so or if it's a group of people what are they doing that you're not
0: I currently do not, uh, to my dismay. Um, <laughs> I think it's uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's great to always have a mentor or be learning from someone. Uh, I mean, probably like at this point, the internet and Google and Spotify podcasts are my unofficial mentors. There we go. Uh, just to just to get ideas and bounce ideas around. My uh, my previous bosses. I mean, I was fortunate. I had some really really great bosses that were pretty much like boss mentors um so i learned a lot from those guys uh, and could and can still reach out to them today um i mean in terms of what they're doing that i'm not i mean my most recent boss he was one of the fastest paced hardest working guys i ever met um and he could have a conversation with anyone and i was Always very, very impressed at how customer focused he was,
1: hmm.
0: no matter what, even when it pissed off half of our team, he would stand pretty true to that. So, so he got known, he kind of niched himself as, you know, Mr. Customer Focused. And I know a lot of salespeople say that and they strive for that. Um, he definitely took it to, to the next level. Good for him. That's a good
1: label to have. Cool. All right. Well, last thing, is there anything you want to promote? And to promote yourself, are you open to being a mentor for others?
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, to the, to the being open to be a mentor for others. Uh, I think it's huge. I mean, if I can, if I can help anybody out there or if you have questions, I mean, please, please reach out. Um, I've been reaching out to people, like I told you, with the job search, and I'm just eternally grateful for any kind of re- responses or conversations that I can have. So um, definitely down to pay it forward. Um, and in terms of plugging, nothing, nothing too much, but uh, if anybody out there has any uh, high-end premier cosmetics or consumer goods needs for formulation or uh, premier manufacturing services,
1: Come to VC Labs. There we go. We'll take care of you. I'm sure your phones are going to be ringing off the hook after that one. (laughs) VC Labs, always plug them. Well, Chris, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I've definitely got plenty of content here to share with the audience.
0: So thanks. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Eric. Adios.